Mike, it's wonderful to be with you today. Go ahead and grab a seat. My name's Mike, one of the pastors on the team. You might want to grab your notes out of your handout. You'll see we are finishing up a series called Easy Targets. And uh, we've been talking about a bunch of stuff these last few weeks. I, I brought a, a sermon illustration today. And as I was bringing this in the car this morning, my daughter asked what was going on. I, I told her, uh, doing a little target practice at church, and she said, Dad, that could go horribly wrong today. So anyway, I'll be very, very careful. I want to do a little target practice uh, just by way of, you know, illustration. But I don't particularly like this target. And, and there's a reason. It's because it's just, it's so hard to hit bullseye. So I asked him to make me another target. And, uh, <laughs> you know, the larger the bullseye, the easier the target. And so let's just see how this goes here. Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. There we go. All right. It only took me two times to get it there the first service. So you guys are getting the benefit of practice. Uh, why did I start the message this way? It's not to show off my archery skills, of which I have none. Uh, it is simply to recap where we have been, and that is that there is an enemy who has taken target practice with us. And at some place in our life, at, at some areas in our, in our lives, or some times in our lives, all of us are easy targets for the enemy. And two weeks ago, we talked about how uh, one of the places is in our past wounds. We, we, our past wounds that are unhealed, the enemy comes and targets those. And so for us, the bullseye living is pursuing the healing that God brings. Last week, we talked about guarding our hearts. And if we don't guard our hearts, our hearts become the target the enemy pursues. And, and we talked about the bullseye living for guarding our hearts is authenticity. And today, we're just going to jump right in. We're going to take a look at what is it the enemy wants ultimately is to destroy our lives. The Bible says that the, the enemy of God, the enemy of us, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for fresh meat out there. He's looking for easy targets. He wants to totally destroy our lives. And for us to successfully live and navigate and care for our whole lives, our hearts and, and everything, it's, there are a few things that we have to do. So I want to jump into some principles for bullseye living if we're going to take care of our entire lives. And, and if you're filling in the blanks, the first one, really simply, build lifestyle guardrails. Build some lifestyle guardrails in your life. Places that, that you establish, these are boundary markers that, that you establish because you want to live the life that God has for you. If you've said yes to Jesus, you've received his grace and his cleansing, then the Bible's really clear that he has taken away your heart of stone, given you a new heart of flesh, a heart that yearns for the things of God. That's what's most true about you. So you want to live the good life that God invites you to live. So it's important for us to build these guardrails so that we can stay on the right path, so that we don't end up falling off the edge. For example, you know there's a bridge that is built over Deception Pass. And it's a really awesome, majestic kind of a thing. But could you imagine if, to save a few bucks, they decided not to put the guardrails on either side? Right? That would be a frightening prospect, right? The spilling over the edge, really, really dangerous. Or if you're going snowboarding or skiing, and, and you come, you know, at the very top, you, you come down the run, and you see this large orange fence 
And it says, you know, trail closed, and, and, and you obey that sign. You don't go past it because just on the other side of that fence is a thousand-foot drop, right, and an avalanche warning, and you like to live, not die, so you stay away from that place, right? You obey the guardrails, the, the boundary markers, and that's what we're talking about in this point. God does not want your life to derail. He doesn't want it to come unhinged. In fact, he gives us his grace and he gives us his good counsel. He gives us his word. He gives us his spirit. He invites us into the fullness of life. But despite God's good desire for goodness in our lives, look at what happens. It says this in Proverbs 19.3. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at the Lord. So, so in other words, we, we don't build guardrails. We tank our lives, and then we blame God as if that's what God wanted all along. We become angry at God when God wants very good things for us, but we're the ones who choose poorly. Then we blame God for it. And I just want you to know that nobody wakes up one morning sober-minded and emotionally healthy and, and says, today I'm going to tank my life. Today, I want the wheels to fall off. I'm going to burn up my marriage, and I'm going to torch my finances. I'm going to blow up all my relationships today, right? Nobody says that. Now, most of the time, what happens is it's a gradual process of the enemy blowing up guardrails that we've established and causing us to go over one boundary and then the next. Proverbs 6.27 says, can a man scoop flame into his lap and not have his clothes catch on fire? Well, I love that verse. I love verses that cause great mental images to come into my mind. And that's one of those, right? You can picture that. But, but, but the point of this verse is that it's just silly to think about somebody scooping fire onto their lap and, and then expecting not to have burns, right? Or, so what it's saying is that there, there are certain things that are absolutely predictable, there's, there are certain pathways that it's really, really easy to see where it's going to go, what the consequences are going to be. And, and we've got to kind of get into that mindset when it comes to establishing some guardrails in our lives. So two questions. You might want to write these down. The first, what do we need to build into our lives right now? What accountabilities, what encouragements, what support? What friendships, spiritual friendships, what are the things that we need to build into our lives right now in order to establish guardrails? And number two, what do we need to eliminate from our lives right now? <clears throat> right now, what do we just need to make a decision? We're going to cut that out. I'm going to build a guardrail. I'm not going to cross over that line anymore. So for some, maybe this is shortcuts at work. Maybe a quick deal that's only slightly shady or you've found a way to make easy money playing off of someone's fears or someone else's naivete. It's not that you're exactly disobeying the tax laws, but you're not exactly obeying the tax laws either. And what I want you to understand is this leads somewhere. It, it, you can see it's predictable. It's going to end up in you either being fired or you being betrayed by somebody shadier than you or, or even jail is a real possibility. And it's 
And it sort of, again, to go to scripture, it's the mental images. It's like you've got all these burns on your leg, this fire in your lap as you're sitting there, and you're screaming in agony, and the ambulance shows up. The paramedics come in, and they're like, oh, my gosh, what happened to you? How did that fire get on your lap? And you're like, I put it there. And then you're like, and I'm so angry that God let it happen. It doesn't make any sense. But that's what we end up doing when we don't build guardrails and we don't obey those guardrails that we've built. Pornography. Right? We know this. We, we know that there's no good pathway for it. We know that it leads to objectification, entitlement to sex, promiscuity. That's not even talking about the other side of the equation with all the human trafficking and all the depravity that happens on that side. And, and I'm not... I'm not saying that I don't understand why it's tempting. I know why it's tempting. I'm just saying we know where it leads. We know where that pathway goes. So, so let's build the guardrails and choose not to cross those guardrails. Let's you know, provide the accountability that we need, the accountability that our, that our young sons, our young daughters need as well. Becoming emotionally connected to an attractive someone who's not your spouse Right? We know where this leads. It, it leads to maybe an emotional affair, and that might lead to a physical affair. That undercuts commitments that you've made to your spouse. It undercuts the value that you've built into your family. It destroys all kinds of good things that God wants for you. So live within guardrails that you build into place, right? No flirtation. Not going to that attractive someone for emotional support or validation, not displaying how charming you are to that person or how good of a listener you are to that person. And it doesn't mean that you come across as rude to your colleagues or friends. It just means that you bring your very best and most to your spouse alone and you don't wander down that pathway at all because you know where it leads. For those of you who are single, we know that about 40% of you are. We know that one of the major temptations is promiscuity. And even when it's consensual, there are wounds that happen, wounds self-inflicted, wounds inflicted on the other heart when there is physical relationship without covenant and commitment and loyalty. And we know that the culture in general, even the culture frowns upon people who sleep around all the time, right? Like even the culture has that. But where the culture has completely made peace is this idea that if you live together, it's okay. That living together without commitment or covenant or loyalty is just fine as long as it's like one person. It doesn't matter if it's, if it's uh, serial monogamy as long as it's monogamy in that moment. And, and, and for some of you, if, if that's where you are, I, I, I don't, I don't want to bring shame. I, I'm not trying to heap anything on you right now, and I know some of you are not there. But this is a conversation that comes up again and again and again. And so if that is where you are, I, I would love to talk to you. I'd love to challenge you with three things today. And, and the way that I would challenge you is based on where you are in your relationship right now. Because obviously there are places, you're living together and there are many places you might be in that moment. So let me just say, number one, if, if you're in that place or you know somebody who's in that place and they're living together, but this is where they are. They're in the place of, I'm not really interested in being married to this person. Then my challenge lovingly offered is, then break it off today. Like, end it. 
Because if, if you already know you're not interested in being married to this person, then you need to know for your own integrity's sake and for their in honor's sake, you want to honor your partner and for your faith walk, your walk with Jesus Christ, just end it because you know you're being disingenuous to yourself and you know you're not in a place where God wants you to be. Plus, if you ever want to be available to the person that God does have for you, you're unavailable right now to them. So end it, and end it today, and God bless you. I love you. I'll help you, you know. I'll, I'll help move your boxes. Like, like, let's figure that out. End it today, okay? Can I get a little response, a little love on that one? So it's not that we hate you. We love you. We, we just want to challenge you on that. But maybe that's not where you are. Maybe you're in the other place, and maybe you're in the place where, no, no, I, I'm very interested in being married to this person. We love each other. We're head over heels. We, we want this thing to be eternal. We want the covenant to be Then. Get married today. <laughs> Do it, right? Like just, just go for it. Take the plunge. Don't take the 10 months, 8 months what, to build a No, 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 no. Just weddings are like idols in our culture sometimes. Like, like make the covenant and be married. If that's where you are, you know your, your partner knows it, then get married. And we don't recommend this. We actually have a, a, a really great premarital class that we suggest all of our folks go through. But I do want you to know that there have been times when I have done a wedding before church or after church on the steps outside. Like our pastors have done Sunday weddings after a message like this where, where folks are like, you know what, we should, we want Jesus to be at the center of this thing. Then let's get married today. Like, like do that thing. Okay. So that's my, my challenge. If, if you know you don't want to get married, then, then break it off with honor, right? You're not trying to wound, but it's, it's you trying to be a person of integrity, authenticity. And if you do want to get married, then, then get married and bring Jesus right into the heart of that relationship. And then maybe you're in a third place, which I'm guessing is probably most often. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'm interested in being married. I'm not sure if I'm uninterested in being married to this person. I'm just not sure. And if that's where you are, then let me encourage you to move out today and continue to walk the road of exploring the, the personality and the compatibility and bringing Jesus right into the center of this thing, tone, totally tone down the physical side of the relationship. And the reason why I say this, friends, it's not because God is down on sex. The reason why I say this is because if you're in the season of clearing your head, sex is the worst activity to engage in. <laughs> Nothing muddies the water like great sex when you're trying to figure out, do I even like this person, right? So you, you've got to just sort that thing out totally and just say, I, I, we're going we're gonna to call it quits on our physical side of the relationship. We're going to pursue what God's best might be for us, and it might lead to breaking up totally. It might lead to marriage, but you can't make that decision while there's that entanglement, okay? All right, can I get an amen? Can I, are we with you? Now, obviously, many of you are not in that place right now, so some of you are like, well, that was just five minutes. That had nothing to do with me. Here's what I want you to see. That, that's the kind of guardrails I'm talking about. For all of us, we, we got to build these places in our lives where like, these are the boundary markers for me, and I'm not going to go outside of it. I'm not going to do And as soon as I start bumping up against the boundary marker, that's when I'll know there's already a problem there, and I'm going to address that problem, okay? Because we want to make sure that we live the life that God has us to live. We want to know where the rocks are and where the shallow places are so that we don't shipwreck our lives. Because there is an enemy... And he is seeking to take you out, right? He is looking to entangle you and entrap you. 
That's what the enemy of God wants. That's what the enemy of your soul wants. He wants to catch you in a trap. And the places that he goes after are the places where we're vulnerable. So right now, you already know that there are a couple of places in your life where you're kind of vulnerable. You know this. Maybe you're trying to get out of the party lifestyle right now. And even right now, you feel like God's calling you to a commitment. I'm going to get out of the party lifestyle. I'm not going to pursue that. I'm not going to go clubbing. I'm not going to overdrink, or I'm going to totally stay away from substance. You're just making this decision right now. And then what typically happens is the day after you make that decision, your buddies show up at your house with a keg. They've never brought a keg over to your house before, but suddenly there's a keg there. And all, you're like, well, I'll, I'll make this decision next month, you know. And and what's that? There's an enemy behind the scenes seeking to trap you, keep you ensnared. Some of you are like, you know, and I'm going to go after purity in my thought life. I, I know I have to make that decision. I know I have to go after purity. And so you make that decision. And then the next time you go online on your homepage, which is totally, you know, safe, it's, but suddenly on your homepage, there's this picture and it causes you to start lusting and, oh, maybe I'll make this decision tomorrow. Right? The enemy wants to keep you entangled. Or some of you, you're, you're like, oh, you know, I, I, really, I, I really need to get out of debt. You know, I, I really have to take a, a handle on my finances, and i got to make sure that I spend exactly what I need to spend. And, and you go home after making that decision, and the first thing you see is an advertisement. All of the clothes in your favorite store are on sale. Yeah, you know what, I'll, I'll, t I'll, I'll take a look at my budget next month, you know. And the enemy just wants to keep you trapped. Look what the scripture says here, 2 Timothy 2.26. Then they will come to their senses, that's what we're talking about, and escape from the devil's trap. Please circle that phrase. The devil has a trap, he wants you in it. For they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. And so the enemy will set traps to ensnare us into a lifestyle of destructive sin. And he will also fight to stop you and to stop the good work of God in you. For example, you get a vision from God to do something, just watch how the enemy comes against that, seeks to block you. You make a commitment. I'm going to make my, my finances under the authority of God. I'm going to be financially faithful. I'm going to be generous where he calls me to be generous. I'm going to budget well, be a good steward. And you make that decision. Your spouse is on board with it. And you go home, and, and you guys are starting to budget. The next day, your car blows up, and it's 1200 bucks. Well, it's not an accident. It's the enemy coming against you. Some of you in your relationship with your spouse, you make a decision. We're going to make Jesus the center of our relationship. We're going to start praying together. We're really going to, we're just going to make sure we're on this faith journey together, that that will be the, the building place for our marriage. And, and the first night you go in and you begin to pray together, um, your spouse doesn't like how you've prayed. You don't like how your spouse prays. Uh, you, you kind of have a discussion and it escalates a little bit to an argument. And suddenly it's like World War III happening. And you're like, why are we even married? and it's in the context of wanting Jesus to be at the center. Are you tracking with me? And it's the enemy. There's, a, there's something else going on in all of this. Uh, maybe it's you have a friend that you really care about. You really love this person. And you're asking God, God, show me a way to share my faith with this person. Give me an opportunity to share my faith. And you're praying for this person. You're really enjoying your relationship, your friendship with this person. And, and you're looking for an opportunity. And all of a sudden, boom, it hits. They actually ask you, hey, listen, 
if you, if you could, would you just tell me about your relationship with Jesus? Like as clear as it can be. And this is the moment. And right as you begin to answer the question, their phone rings and they have to take it and the moment's gone. Opposition. See, there's more going on than we can see with our eye. This is the stuff that's happening behind the scenes. And I say all this because you need to realize the enemy is going to seek to derail you and entangle you and work against God's work in you. And that's why we have to have these guardrails. That's why we have to build these guardrails in our life. Okay. The next step for bullseye living is you, we have to pursue blind spot awareness as well. Up until this moment, we've been talking about the things in your life that you already know, the things that you've already seen in your life, what you already recognize about yourself. But in your life and in my life, there are these areas that are blind spots. We don't even see. We don't know what we don't know. And in order for us to get through these, the first place we go, we go straight to the Lord. God, would you help me see what you see, what I currently don't see? And that's what the scripture is all about, Psalm 139. It says, search me, O God. And know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. God, help me see what I don't see. Show me the blind spots that I've been living with. Maybe that other people can see. My spouse can see it. My best friend can see it. But I can't. And so you want to know these things, these things that offend God so that we can eliminate them. God will reveal this stuff to us. He'll change our life circumstance or he'll change our mentality, the way we think about things. But I want you to see that God will also reveal not just what's going on that you don't see about you, but he can reveal what's going on about him that you don't see. See, this is really one of those amazing truths that you are never alone in this battle, that you are never fighting alone, that you are never facing your circumstances alone. God is always with you, right? And, and, and sometimes we just don't see it. There's this great passage in 2 Kings chapter 6, starting in verse 15. 2 Kings 6, 15, if you want to read it later, please, it's a great, great chapter. It tells a story of when Israel is at war against the king of Aram. And there is a servant of Elisha, uh, and, and Elisha and his servant are, you know, in Israel. The king of Aram, he sends all of his forces down. Uh, it says uh, in verse 15, when the servant of the man of God got up and went out the next morning, an army with horses and chariots surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? So the man, the servant of Elisha, is going ballistic. He looks out, right, goes outside, he looks out, and all he sees are the forces of the enemy seeking to destroy them. All he sees is horses and warriors. He sees Sparta's 300. He sees Nazi tanks, the Imperial Star Starfleet Command. Like, like everything has come against him, and he is freaking out. He's, he know, we are so outnumbered. They've got everybody. We've got nobody and that's when Elisha prays. This is on your outline. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. It's amazing, but that's the truth. 
There are so many more on our side than on theirs. And the battle belongs to the Lord. And he is the one who is surrounding us and working behind the scenes with angels and his warriors everywhere. You're not in the battle alone, just like Elisha was not in the battle alone. So we have to remember that there are these things going on that we can't see, things about ourselves going on that we can't see, so we need help with our blind spots. But there's also things about God that we can't see. We can't see his work behind the scenes. And and so we need to just ask him. In fact, friends, this is why prayer is such a powerful weapon when it comes to spiritual warfare. Right? Prayer is so powerful because it taps into the spiritual realm, the stuff we cannot see. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4 says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Okay, the weapons we fight with, they're not the weapons of the world. It's not conventional warfare we're talking about. It's not material world warfare. The spiritual weapons that we have in prayer is the chief one. And it actually brings us to this final principle for bullseye living, which is suit up in God's armor. We need to suit up in God's armor. This is all found in Ephesians chapter 6, the last part of that chapter. Again, great, great passage to read through this week. I've got a buddy of mine named Rob. Rob actually prays through this almost on a daily basis, where he literally envisions himself uh, placing these items of God's armor on his life as he goes out and he, and he lives the way God wants him to live. In, in verse 10, this is what it says, chapter 6, verse 10 of Ephesians. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So it says, be strong in who? In the Lord. And in whose mighty power? His mighty power. That's right. So, so that's where the source of our strength is. It's not be strong in yourself and in your mighty power. It's not how disciplined you are, how skilled you are, how knowledgeable you are. It's be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's the source, because his power really is available to his people. Uh, Next verse, 11. Put on all of God's armor. You might want to circle the word all. All of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. This is so important for us to remember. We forget it all the time, by the way. But it's so important for us to remember that if you are in a battle, your battle is not against other people. Your battle is not against the government. It's not against Republicans or Democrats. It's not against the school board. Your battle's not against one another at all. It's not against your neighbor. Your battle, it's not against uh, the older generation that's stuck in its ways or the, the younger generation that has no moorings. Like it, it's not against people at all. Your, your battle is not against the 49ers or the Steelers or Tom Brady until the fall when it is. But, but right now, it's not. And, and your battle is not. Like, you, you might be in a battle against the boss from hell, but your battle's not against the boss from hell. Your boss isn't from hell. They may be acting like it right now, but that's not the source of your battle. They're, they're just a pawn in this equation, right? No, it's behind the scenes. It's the forces. It's the, in the heavenly realms, right? There's, there's these things going on. And, and so when you think about the things that we're called to fight, things like racism and prejudice, things like legalism, self-hate, manipulation, greed, lust, 
materialism, apathy, addiction, pride, temptation, death. These, these things, they're, they're all spiritual realities. Yes, it takes place on, a, on the human playing field, but we need to remember who the true enemy is. They're behind the scenes. By the way, there's nothing that the enemy wants more than to convince you that he doesn't exist. Right? He, if you just take him out of the equation, then you can focus on the human target, just shoot them down. No, no, you're missing the whole thing. He's behind the scenes. He's the one who's making this stuff go. Okay, it brings us to the next verse, verse 13. Therefore, put on every piece. You can circle that again. Put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Every piece of this armor is God's strength for you. Every piece of this armor, it's God's power for you. It's, it's God's wisdom for you and God's will for you. Each of these pieces has a unique and a separate role to play in your life. So let's take a look at what these pieces of armor provide. Verse 14, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. The belt of truth. Let's start there. Only the cheesiest comedies would have a fight scene in which somebody's pants fall down around their ankle, right? That's what a belt provides, by the way, right? It keeps your pants up. So it's just kind of ridiculous to think. You cannot do good ninja moves with your pants around your ankle. It just doesn't happen. So you got to keep your, your, your pants up. But, but to me, when I talk, think about this belt of truth and the way in which belts worked, you know, back in Roman legionnaire days, the idea I have is much more like the, the weightlifting belt that a power lifter would put on. Have you seen those things? They're super thick. They're leather. Strap it on. What does it do? It keeps everything in place. And what does truth do? Truth keeps everything in place. This is the belt of truth. And specifically, what are we talking about? The truth of your identity. The truth of who you are. You are God's son. You are God's daughter. You have a heavenly father who is a good heavenly father. He loves you. He is with you. He is for you. That's the belt of truth. You buckle it firmly in place, right? That's where this whole thing starts. You got to know who you are. You got to know whose you are. You're a son or daughter of the most high God. Okay, that's where it all starts. And then it says, and then the body armor of God's righteousness. Some of your translations might say the breastplate of righteousness. It fits over the front. This is your bulletproof vest, if you will. And it's built of the righteousness that doesn't come from you, comes from God. And so often in the New Testament, we are we're encouraged and we're challenged, we're commanded to put on the righteousness of Christ. That when, when God looks at us, he actually doesn't look at, at Mike's righteousness. What he looks at when he sees me, he looks at Christ's righteousness on me. And this is what we do. We, we literally suit up in the righteousness of Christ. My righteousness is not going to stop a bullet. Christ does. Okay? Next verse, verse 15. For shoes put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. All right, so just think about shoes for a moment. 
sprinter's shoes, right? Different shoes for different functions. A sprinter has a really lightweight shoe, super lightweight, cushiony. It's got tiny little spikes on the bottom, so, so small. They're cute, cute little spikes. And you just, you just roadrunner kind of, like suddenly you're, you're flying down the track. If you're a climber, it's a different kind of shoe. It's, it also is super lightweight, but it's really grippy, grippy, tapey, grabby. Like, like zoo, doo, 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 you right up the wall. Like, that's what a climber's shoe is. Totally different than a firefighter's shoe, right? Totally different purpose because a firefighter's boot, it's got a cuckoo, cuckoo, con, con, you know, kick down the door, you know, what, I don't know. Do you kick down the door? I don't know. But the idea is it's totally different kind of a thing. And if you're a football player, you've got football cleats, but it's completely inappropriate to wear football cleats when you're on the basketball court playing basketball. Are you tracking with me? Like, shoes matter. And so what the scripture says is for the battle, what you lace up in is peace. And peace that, that you have, that I have, that we lace up in, it specifically comes from somewhere. What does it say? It comes from the good news. Okay, what is this? What is the good news? The good news is you are not loved by God because you have a lot of good works. You are not loved by God because you have a lot of the right answers. You are not loved by God because your performance is exceptional or that you're specifically good at the battle that we're talking about right now. These are not the reasons why you're loved by God. In fact, I want to say all of the things I just said, they are not the good news. That you're, good, that you're loved by how well you do, what grades you get, how much you know, how right you live. Like, that's not good news. That's just works. That's just law. No, the good news is the love of Jesus Christ is offered to you, and it's infinite, and it's unconditional, it's never-ending, it's everlasting, it's all-encompassing, that, that it absolutely is dependent upon the work that Christ accomplished on the cross, and it is absolutely not dependent on you and my performance issues. That's the good news. And I just want to say, that's the source of peace. And when you lace up in the peace that the love of Jesus Christ is always fresh, always new, lavished upon you, that you don't deserve it, but you don't need to deserve it because Jesus is just going to keep pouring it out on you, you can walk around in those shoes all day long and your dogs won't be barking. I'm telling you, that, that will set you up for an incredibly rich experience as you go through your life, right? The peace that comes from, from the good news. And not only do you live with that peace, but it says be prepared. We need to be prepared to share it because there are so many desperate to understand that Jesus loves them. The love of God is absolutely available for all. Okay. Verse 16, in addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Hold up the shield of faith. If you want to circle the phrase shield of faith just above it, you could write the word trust because that's what we're talking about. The shield of faith is a posture of trust, that you trust God is good. You trust that God is love. You trust that God is with you. You trust that God is for you. That's a shield that you're holding out in front of you. And as the arrows come, it's going to bounce off that thing because God is good. Even though the circumstances don't look like it, you're going to trust that God is good. Even though you don't feel like you've got allies in this battle, you're going to trust that God is with you. Does that make sense? That trust is a shield that you can hold out in front of you. Many years ago, I was a youth pastor in Southern California 
teaching through this, and I thought it'd be fun to do a visual illustration. So for some reason, I, I decided to use marshmallows as fiery darts. And, and I, I had a bunch of bags of marshmallows. I gave them to everybody in the youth group. And then I asked for a volunteer. Scotty Sprankle volunteered. So I had him stand in front of the group. And at the count of three, I said, you guys are just going to throw your marshmallows at Scott. And I counted to three. And of course, you know, he just got thousands of marshmallows in his face. And the kids loved it. You know, Scotty loved it. The janitors in my church, they loved this game. It was so fun. Oh, they talked about it for months. I mean, it was, they just, oh, what a hoot, you know. So he just got decimated by marshmallows. And I said, okay, let's do it again. So I passed out more marshmallows and we picked them up or whatever. And I said, same exact thing. I'm going to count to three. You throw your marshmallows at little Scotty. But I'll, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give him a shield. And I gave him a pillow, right? Pillow. Now, it wasn't, you don't think of a pillow as a shield, but, but it was a big pillow. And Scott was a small kid. So it worked just fine. And so, so I said, count to three. One, two, three. They all threw their marshmallows at Scott. How many hit him? None, except for like one, he popped his head up and caught one in his mouth and then went back down, but, but none. Like he, he didn't get hit at all because he had this thing out in front of him. And when it comes to the shield of faith, it's, it's this, you're gonna let your trust in God go first. See, so often what we do is we like to experience our life and then decide what we're gonna do with God. How I'm going to let my faith sort of built out of the, the experience or the circumstance that I'm in. But this, this says do it the opposite. Put, put your shield out first. Decide on the front end, I'm going to trust God. I'm, I'm going to trust that he's good. I'm going to trust that he's providing for me. I'm going to trust that he's present with me. I'm going to trust that he is for me and he wants good things from my life. That, that's the trust that you lead with. And it extinguishes the darts of the enemy. Okay. 17, put salvation on as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Okay, a couple of things here. Helmets, you wanna think about when you go into the world of hard knocks, when you're entering into a dangerous activity, you put on a brain bucket, right? So you think of football helmets, right? Or you think of motorcycle helmets. The idea of this is potentially dangerous, lethal even, so you need to guard your mind. It's the most precious thing there is, mind, terrible thing to waste. So you put on a helmet. And what does the scripture say? What you put on your head, what you, what you cover your mind with is salvation. You cover your mind with salvation. I am saved. I'm, I'm saved that, that Jesus saved me. When, when I placed my trust in the work that he accomplished on the cross, my sins were forgiven. I was cleansed, absolutely uh, made a child of God. I, I get to live in intimacy with him. I'm enjoying my salvation in this lifetime. And when this lifetime is over, whenever, however that happens, I'm going to enjoy salvation forever and ever. Amen. Right? That's what you wrap your mind in. That's what you, you cover your thoughts in. Right, salvation. And then the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I know you know this, but this is the only offensive weapon we have, the sword. It's the only thing we have to actually go against the enemy with. Everything else is defensive. This is offensive. And, and notice that it's the Word, right? God's Word. If you think when Jesus was tempted specifically by the enemy, how Jesus counteracted that temptation 
was he right, rightly used the word of God. He knew the word of God, so he was able to employ the word of God accurately, and it, and it came against the enemy. Now, I want you to also realize in that very same passage, what you see is that the enemy is also familiar with God's word. So when I say that we're to employ the word of God, I want you to understand that there's a challenge for us. We need to not only know God's word, we need to know how it connects with God's heart. We have to know how it connects with God's love, how it connects with God's goodness, how it, how it continually connects with his providing for us and bringing wisdom into our lives. Because what the enemy wants to do is he wants to divorce God's word from God's heart. And anytime you've ever heard anyone use scripture to endorse their own hatred of somebody else, they have bought into that. That the enemy has come and been able to divorce God's word from God's heart, and, and then it gets all manipulative and controlling and hate-filled and toxic. It's gross. So you, we've, got, we've got this dual challenge. We know the word, and we know how it connects with God's heart. And we use that, and we experience victory of the enemy. Above all else, I want you to remember this, friends. As believers, when we fight, we do not fight for victory. Instead, we fight from victory. You need to write that down. You need to remember this. this. This will bring such an incredible sense of peace and assurance in your life. The victory is already won in Jesus Christ. He won the victory on the cross when he rose again from the grave, proving that he was God in the flesh, proving that he accomplished the work he set out to accomplish, that the penalty for sins has been paid, that we are invited into this relationship for all of eternity, reconciled to God. Our sin no longer stands in our way. Christ has won the victory. The enemy is defeated. That is assured. Okay. That's what we stand on. So we don't fight for victory. No, no, we fight from victory. That's the foundation that we stand on. We have already experienced the victory in Jesus Christ, and it's in that place that we stand and we battle. The enemy comes against us. He wants to take us out, but he is a defeated foe, and he knows it. He's read the end of the book, too. He knows where he ends up. So I want you to understand all of this. I want you to understand that it's this victory that Jesus has provided for us. That's the starting place for all the stuff we've been talking about today. Scripture says this. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. You've overcome your opposition, the trials, the temptations, the enemy, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And so this is why we suit up. This is why we build guardrails. This is why we try to become aware of our blind spots so that we can be sent out into this world and live victoriously from a place of Christ's victory. He's the one who overcame the world, and we live as overcomers in him. And so as I close this whole series, I just want to say that it is the victory of Jesus that allows us to experience the healing from our past wounds. And it is the victory of Jesus that allows us to lovingly guard our hearts as we navigate our way through life. And it's the victory of Jesus that allows us to suit up in his armor and to live victorious lives of faith so that we never have to become easy targets for the enemy.
Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes and let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your victory. Thank you for your love. For so many of us, we don't even pretend to understand how you could love us infinitely, how you could love us unconditionally, how your love for us could be everlasting, never-ending. But right now, Lord Jesus, we just want to embrace it. We, we just want to, by faith, we, we want to accept your love in our lives. We, by faith, we want to appropriate all of these aspects of your armor. Each of these, the, these parts of, of the suit of armor that you have provided, we, we want to put them on so that we can live victorious lives. Not that we have to earn or achieve victory on our own, but rather that's our starting place, that as victorious sons and daughters of the Most High God, we could continue to live lives that reflect your glory. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for all the good work that you're doing in our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you.